Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. We're going to jump into and keep rolling this week, and, and, and I want to talk about kind of, you know, uh, what it means to have accountability and accountability with one another. How many of you know that it's good to have people around you that know you very well and know your mannerisms and all of that kind of stuff? My wife knows if I'm in deep thought, if I'm thinking about something, because apparently I do something with my bottom lip. I'm unaware of it, but she says like I suck in my bottom lip or something and I'm going, I do? I don't know. But she'll tell me the other day, literally this last week, we're driving on the road and she goes, uh, you're, you're doing that thing with your lip. What are you thinking about? And I'm going, my goodness, are you kidding me? Seriously? Like you so, well, this is what's on my mind. You know, start going through these things, start talking. I was like, man, she's like a psychic. It's weird. Or she's my wife. So there's that aspect of it. So her understanding that would probably be a good thing. So she understands that. How many of you know we need people like that in our lives that recognize things if something's not right, if something's off, that they see it and they can call it, you know, call us on it and be like, hey, I recognize you need, you've got this happening and you've got this moment. How many of you know that it's good to have people around you that are willing to help you in time of need and that are willing to help you when you need it, even when you don't want it? Lauren and I, one time we were leaving uh, from a band practice that we had just had and we're pulling out and we recognize this car stuck in the mud just off of the road. Now, mind you, it, I mean, we're not even out of the church area that we are at, and it's just, just boom, in the mud. And we're going, what in the world? And we look up, and we know the kid. Uh, and he's a young man that was in our youth group, and, and you know, he helps us with worship and stuff. And, and, and I, I get out of the car, and I go, hey, do you need help? What do you, what do you need? He's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I've got it. I've got some ideas. His ideas to get out of the mud were some of the dumbest ideas I have ever seen in my entire life. He's like, I found this PVC pipe. And I'm like, what are, you, what are you gonna do with the PVC pipe? I thought I could wedge it under it. I'm like, no, you, you're not. You're not gonna wedge that under your wheel and gain traction. It's PVC, right? Like it's just, it's gonna slip and all this. And so I was like, listen, I know somebody we can call right now. He can just come pull you out. Don't worry about it. And he's like, no, I'm fine. I got it, I got it. And I'm like, dude, you, you've got mud up to your knees now because you're trying to do, pull your little Kia Sportage out of the mud on your own. It's not gonna happen. Uh, you're not gonna shove PVC and what, I think you found a rope, like a jump rope or something. I'm like, what are you, how are you gonna MacGyver your way out of this situation, man? This isn't about to happen. Let me call somebody. So I call this guy named Jeff and Jeff didn't live far. And he's like, hey, I'm actually about to leave. I gotta head that way. I'll come by. Jeff shows up with this huge truck that's like a 3,500 diesel and these tow straps and he just hooks him up and he says, just put it in neutral and let me pull you out. And then it just pulls him right out. And it's the easiest thing in the world. It took Jeff all about 15 minutes and it took him that long because Jeff likes to talk. And, and it took Jeff a little bit to get rolling. And then it was about three minutes worth of work and the car was out. So then we leave and, and later I get a call from the young man who had gotten his car stuck. And he said, um, thank you so much. I was a little embarrassed and didn't want to admit that I needed help, but you were persistent and you stuck with it. And, and you helped us out. You helped me out of the, out of the situation. I was like, man, it wasn't a big deal. I, I, did, I made a phone call, right? It, but it was just in the sense in the moment that I recognized he had need. And I said, you know what? You're not gonna be able to make it out on your own. Even right now that you don't want it, we're gonna help pull you out. We're gonna get you out of here. Accountability kind of works like this. There was uh, several years ago, there was a, a major rainstorm in a Southern state, similar to kind of like a lot of the rain that we've had, just very, very soaking, soaking rain. And then like a torrential downpour happens, a flash flooding 
And there was a stream that, that this man, was, he was driving down the road and he comes around and there's this bridge over what was a little stream. Now the bridge is washed out and there's a raging river. And he comes around and just in time, slams on his brakes and pulls up to a stop right at the edge before he falls in to the water with his car to an unknown end result. And while his, his heart is still pounding and, and his mind is racing, thinking what in the world just happened, all of a sudden he hears the familiar sound of a bus coming around the turn. And immediately he jumps out of his car and he begins to run towards the bus thinking this may be the worst thing I could possibly do in the rain to try to run towards a bus to get them to stop. But if I don't at least make an attempt, all of these people might die if this bus is full of people. All of these people may be severely injured, but I at least have the knowledge to know that there is something I can do in this moment to try to stop this from happening. So he takes off running, and just in the nick of time, he's able to throw his hands up. The bus slams on its brakes and stops before it hits him and before anything happens, and he's able to run on the bus and say, if you would have kept going, you were about to head into the, what was a stream now river because of the, the storm had washed out the bridge. Accountability is kind of like that in those moments when, when we recognize and see, maybe because of our own doing and the things that we've walked through, that, that we recognize that there is a need and we're able to see it, we spot it and we realize it and we're able to run towards it and say, hey, let's fix this before you get into bigger trouble. Or maybe you are on the other side of that and you're going, I need somebody to run towards me to tell me to stop or somebody that I can lean into that says, hey, you, if you keep going this way, you're going to end up in more trouble than you ever possibly thought. Here's what I have learned is that it takes a village. None of us are capable on our own. We need each other. We need each other. We need somebody who's willing to, to step out and to, to point out to us the fact that there, there is an issue or a problem. We need somebody that we can run to and say, hey, I have an issue or a problem and I need your help. Here's, here's the idea for today is that God created us for each other. In that lies the responsibility for each other. God created us for each other. In that lies the responsibility then for each other. I want to jump into Genesis chapter four this morning. And this is kind of a... Um, an odd place to go to as to deal with accountability, but there's a question that is posed in this, this short uh, passage that we're going to pull from that I think helps us to define and understand our role and our responsibility for each other. In chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 9 and 10, this is right after Cain, in his, in his frustration and his anger towards his brother who brought the better gift, Cain then murders his brother Abel. And so God comes to Cain and he says this, he says, then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, I look at this, and this is uh, kind of a crazy response. I don't know that anybody else I've ever heard of on earth knowingly speaking directly to God and having direct conversation with God. I think he's the only person that I can come up with that speaks in this tone of arrogance to the Lord. Perhaps maybe the devil did when he was like 15 years old and he was a teenager. How many of y'all have ever dealt with teenagers, right? And they just, they know everything at 15. I was a youth pastor for a long time and I found out quickly that my advice meant nothing uh, from about 15 to 17. And then around 18, they shift and they come back around and they go, man, remember when you said that? You were right. And I'm like, I know. Real, real humble about it, right? You just go, 
No, but I feel like in this moment, Cain is speaking to God and, and they both know what has happened, right? They're fully aware and both of them know that the other person knows what has happened. And, and Cain still says to the Lord, I don't know, you tell me, is essentially what he's saying. Where is he? Am I my brother's keeper? Is he my responsibility? Am I supposed to keep up with him? Am I supposed to keep my eyes on what he's got going on and what he's doing? And, 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 and we find that this is a question that gets asked over and over and over in today's world and in, and in Christianity all the time. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, I use it a lot as a joke. If people ask me where my wife is, I'm like, am I my wife's keeper? And then I'll be like, oh, she's over here. She's doing this or whatever, you know. Uh, you know, you have those, those statements, those moments. It gets used a lot. It gets thrown a lot. But, but I think if we're going to fully understand this, there's a couple of questions within this question that need to be answered. First of all, what does it mean to be someone's keeper? What does it mean to be someone's keeper? Now, if we look at the context and, and the text that's, that's used, we look at the Hebrew word used for keeper in this verse, we find that it can be translated to mean several different things. One of the things you will learn about Greek and Hebrew languages as you study scripture is that a lot of times the context determines the meaning of the word. A lot of times the situation in which it's implied is it helps define the meaning that, that they're trying to imply in the moment. So you, it's simple. In, in English language, we have a million different ways to say one thing. I can repeat myself over and over describing something, essentially saying the same thing like, wow, that is beautiful. That is really pretty. Wow, that is extremely nice looking, right? Essentially, I have said the same thing, just use different words. Now, in the Greek and Hebrew languages, what we find is they will say one statement and it'll be full of tons of meanings and in, in, in different options within that realm. So the context helps to create and determine the meaning of the word being used. So if we look at the word being used for keeper, now, I won't ever try to attempt to speak Hebrew ever because that is a, not an easy language to ever try to attempt to speak. And I've got a program that'll like say it for me and I just go, good for you. We're not gonna say it because there's a lot of phlegm involved. It's not pleasant, not pleasant. But essentially the word means this, it, it means keeping, guarding, or watching. And so in, in, in this, what we find is that the same word is used several times in the book of Genesis. In fact, it's used repeatedly even prior to this usage of the word. And so we find that in, in Genesis chapter two, God is speaking to Adam in the garden and he tells him to, to take care of it, which is the same word used to be the keeper. So when, 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 Abel, when Cain asked, am I my brother's keeper? It's the same word that God used in speaking to uh, Adam saying, hey, you are to take care of the garden. It is your responsibility to take care of the garden. Now you fast forward then to Genesis chapter three and, and now Adam and Eve have been removed from the garden. They have, been, they have been kicked out and God said, sorry, you messed up. You disobeyed. And so what it says in chapter three is that um, God placed two cherubims, two angels, in a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And that's the same word that, that used there for guard is the same word to be the keeper. So, so to be, he says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I his guardian? Am I the one who's supposed to take care of? Am I the one supposed to watch over him? It's not just in the sense of hanging on to, because the same word in the Hebrew also means to, to keep as in to hold possession of or to retain possession of. So in the sense of keeping your word, keeping a covenant, right? And those kind of things. So this word is, 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 is vast when you start to really study and understand what is it that he's actually saying. So to get a fuller understanding of what it means to be a keeper, I want to look in the book of Ezekiel chapter 33. Now this is a strong 
strong statement in Ezekiel chapter 33. So we'll, we'll make some understanding. In verse one through six, it says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, when I bring the sword against a land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn them, then if anybody hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning of the sword, that the sword comes and takes their life, the blood will be on their own head. Meaning, we'll stop for just a moment right there. If somebody gives you a warning and you disregard it and the person comes in war and kills you, sorry, um, that's on your own doing because somebody warned you, you had the opportunity to run or to hide or to prepare to defend yourself and you chose not to. So picking it up in verse five, since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. Like, oh, makes perfect sense. Verse six, it says, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin but I will hold the watchman accountable for the blood. Now, I'm not gonna get into the whole idea of, of the wars that were taking place in, in, in Israel during this time, but I wanna focus in on the idea implied here of the watchman. Because the root of the word watchman is the same root word that we have of keeper in the Hebrew. It's the same, it's the same beginning. It's, it implies a lot of the same ideas. So as, when it comes to, to being a watchman, we, we, we find that it is to, to guard over, to watch out, to defend, and to protect. Whenever I think about a watchman, I think about uh, just an incredible um, theologically sound movie called Robin Hood in the Men in Tights. Um, it's just a great basis for, for doctrinal truths. Um, but I always think of a scene in the movie when Robin Hood's blind friend, Blinken, is in the watchtower. And Robin Hood walks up and says, Blinken, what are you doing up there? And he goes, I'm guessing. I guess nobody's coming. You know, and, it, and a lot of times that's how we treat our relationships with one another as it pertains to being the person watching or keeping guard and looking out for our friends, right? We go, I mean, I guess they're doing okay because we don't take the time to dive into the relationships and the community necessary to build that foundation that we can go in and say, hey, I'm seeing this on the horizon. If you don't make a change, this will happen. This is that sense of accountability. I'm gonna hold you up if you hold me up, right? And so we don't need to be like the blind person in the watchtower who's trying to guess if something is happening. But if we are aware and we use our eyes and the vision God has given us, we can then in turn see what it is we're supposed to see as we keep our brothers and our sisters, as we watch, as we keep guard, as we protect. One of the funny parts in that movie is right after that, he like falls out looking for the ladder and he hits the ground and he can see. And he's like, I can see. And then he turns around and runs into a tree and he goes, oh, no, no, I can't. Anyways, all right, so. That has nothing to do with anything, but I just felt I had left it hanging there in that moment and I couldn't just leave it. I was like, man, they need to know the rest. So as a keeper, we need to be aware. Um, we need to be uh, open-eyed, so to speak. We need to be paying attention to the things that are around us with our friends. We need to be looking out. You know, here's what I have found. A lot of times, we have the ability sometimes from a distance to see like, hey, you know what? That's probably not the best relationship. That person's probably gonna bring you down. That, that friendship's not gonna be healthy, but yet we don't ever feel strong enough or aware enough to say anything. We go, I guess I'll let it go. And then we go... In the end, we go, I knew that wasn't going to work out well. 
right? You see those kind of things. Having the ability and, and the strength in the moment to be aware enough and, and strong enough to say something so that we can keep guard, so that we can watch. It takes a village. We need each other. So the next question we have to answer before we get into what our responsibility is this, who is my brother? Who's my brother? Now, again, uh, we have to look into the historical context of the statement because in the Hebrew culture, the word brother gets thrown around a lot in a lot of different contexts. So what, what exactly is Cain asking in this moment? Here's what you find in Hebrew culture is that community responsibility took priority over individual preference or right. So community responsibility was placed up here. What you wanted was below that. Now, they didn't remove individuality, right, in the sense, but, but what was best for the greater good of the people was what was chosen in most circumstances and most situations. And so as you keep reading and you find that, that terms like brother then in, in, in turn characterized those who entered into a mutual covenant or agreement. Brother, it was a, a fellow Israelite. So if they were of the same nationality or they were in a covenant agreement together, they would have been in term uh, brothers, also, anyone who was from outside of the nation of Israel, but had moved into Israel, into the nation, and was living in that nation, they also would be deemed as brother. Because you see, they, rep, they understood that the community aspect as a whole was far greater than individuality, right? It was far greater than individual preference or rights. So they said, we will deem these people as brothers so that there is this connection and this unity amongst the body of people and amongst the nation as a whole that we are now tight-knit as one, as, as a unified group saying, we care for each other more than we care for our own individual selves. So therefore, we are now one family. We are a body together. And I think it's easy to make the, the connection here and to say, okay, who is my brother? Because in the Old Testament, when you would see how a covenant was made, it always required the shedding of blood. So the shedding of blood is what sealed the covenant. So they would sacrifice the animal in the covenant process, right? And whenever uh, God made the covenant with Abraham, and, and we don't need to get into all of it, but there was the shedding of blood through circumcision, right? So blood was always required in a covenant in the Old Testament. We fast forward to the New Testament. We have all entered into the same covenant with Jesus because of his blood being shed. Therefore, we are under this blood. Now, his, his shedding of blood was once and final, right? It was done and complete. And so we are under the blood of Jesus. But, but what we find is in that covenant and in that connection with each other, we are now brothers and sisters, heirs and co-heirs with Christ in a covenant with him. I think it's incredible in Romans 8, it talks about how we are adopted into the family. We have been grafted in. That meaning, so when they say that, it is as if you've taken a tree branch from a, from a, a, a slightly unhealthy tree and you, and you cut out that branch and then you notch into another tree and you place that branch into the tree and they tie it up and they call that grafting it in. So it's the same way when, when, the, when Romans 8 talks about being adopted into the family, we are grafted in. It's as if now we have grown in completely as if we had grown out of it in the first place. So we are brothers and sisters under the covenant of Jesus Christ, under his blood. Therefore, we are each other's keepers. We are to watch and guard over each other. And I better be careful because I will get ahead of myself. I think we keep finding that, that everything points back to the importance here of each other, right? We see that community is vital. We see that one another are, are, are necessary. So God created us for each other. In that lies the responsibility for each other. We need one another. 
So what is the answer to the question, am I my brother's keeper? Or better yet, what is my responsibility to my fellow believers? I wish that in Genesis chapter 4, that when Cain asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? I wish that God would have just slapped him. And, in, and like I wish, literally, I wish that the scripture would have said, and God slapped him. And then just moved to the next chapter. And I would have been like, guess it answers that question. Cain, you're an idiot, right? So we have those kind of moments. That's, so whenever I read the Bible, I have those moments, just FYI. That's just insight into the way I think and the way I see things. I'm like, God, why didn't you smite him? That looks like a perfect opportunity to smite. Because smite is a great King James word that doesn't get used enough anymore. So got to throw it out there. But he doesn't have that moment. He, he goes on to talk about, he says, you know, am I my brother's keeper? And he is like, are you kidding me? I know what you did. His blood dr- cries out to me, right? And it's that idea of, hey, what has happened is, is, is you have murdered him and now his blood is crying out to me. It is on your hands, right? And so I want to talk a little bit about the importance of having each other. What is our responsibility in this? As, as the brother's keeper, as our sister's keeper, I want to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, verse 9 through 12. Now, Ecclesiastes is often known for the, the book that talks about, you know, with every season. Turn, turn, turn. Okay, never mind. That's what it's known for most of the time. But here's what it says. In, in, in chapter 4, verse 9, it says, two are better than one because they have a good return of their labor. Verse 10, it says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. This is important right here. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Let's keep moving. Verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Verse 12. This is where it's just awesome. It says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I think this is a beautiful picture of accountability. This is absolutely a perfection in, in scripture of, of what it looks like to care for one another, to lift each other up, to build each other up, to care for the person to the left or to the right of us and saying, if, if, if we work together, we can accomplish more. If you fall, I can pick you up. I love that statement. It says, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to pick them up. That speaks directly to the idea that we need each other, that, that connection groups is, is that place where we find those people who surround us, who are there for us, who build us up, who connect with us so that we can be better on because of it, because we have somebody speaking to us that we can lean into, that we can carry, our, you know, carry their burdens and they carry our burdens, as it says, as Paul writes about doing. But, but I, I find that the, so the, the word pity to be profound for some reason in the moment. You just say, man, if you don't have someone, my heart breaks for you. I talked about it last week. If you don't have somebody praying for you, if you don't have that person in that connection group that, that is praying for you and those people that are, that are helping build you up and lift you up in those moments where you say, hey, listen, I'm gonna be vulnerable for a minute. My, things are terrible in my life. I've got this going on and this going on and those people lifting you up and praying for you. you know, it's the same way here. If you go, man, I'm stumbling, I'm falling, I'm struggling and you don't have anybody to help you up, what's going to happen? You're going to keep falling and keep falling and keep falling. You're slipping further and further and further until you find yourself so disconnected and so far away that you're going, how did I get here? My heart breaks for you if you don't have that person. It says pity anyone who doesn't have somebody to help them up. We need each other. We need each other. We don't need to struggle on our own. 
Verse 12 says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, this seems almost out of place, right? Because we've been talking about twos in this passage. We've been talking about if if one tries to do it on its own, it's not going to work out. But if you have two, it's better. If you have two, it's better. If you have two, it's better. And then he says, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. One of the things I found when, when, when you when you just kind of read through commentaries and ideas and thoughts, this is just a brilliant idea. Out of nowhere, we have two, but then there's this, you know, this third that shows up. You know what I found? If you, if you read other scriptures, where two or three are gathered, I am there in the midst of them. That third is the Holy Spirit, that, that intertwining, that interweaving uh, um, you know, net, so to speak, that pulls us tighter in this, this rope and this strand that can't be quickly broken because the Holy Spirit that indwells inside of us, it says, I'm gonna bind you together with each other as you come together, as you have that one that you're leaning on. Guess what? You also have this third who is able to equip and to build you up, to make you stronger and better and, and ready to take on the things that you're gonna face and the challenges you're up against because when two come together, the third there in the midst of them is the Holy Spirit and the the work of the Lord in between us and in us. How many of you know I would much rather try to make this life with the Holy Spirit amongst us than to try to separate him from us and say, you know what, we've got this? Because the reality is we don't. Apart from Christ, we don't have what, it, what we need and what it takes to be strong enough. Here's what I found though, too many times we, we don't put that, that, so to speak, that safety net around us. We isolate ourselves our pride gets in the way. We're not willing to humi- you know, humble ourselves and say, I need help. I've gone to the Lord with this and, 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 and I've tried to do it on my own in private and, and this and this and that, but I need somebody else. And we neglect that because our pride gets in the way. How many of you, we're all capable, you know, we've all done it, right? We've all failed in that. We've all said, you know, I can't tell anybody this because what if they think, what will they think about me? What, you know, we've got to move beyond that. Here's what I found, that, that, that trying to operate without the safety net of community and people around us is like trying to build or hang something without tools. Have you ever tried to build anything without any tools whatsoever? Probably not. You've probably at least gathered a few materials and a few tools and said, I think this is what we need to make it happen. Now, I've tried to build things with the wrong tools, and you kind of get there, right? In a roundabout way, you create what you were trying to make happen. But when you have the right tools, you go, man, that was so much better. This looks better. This turned out better. I've seen people, you know, that are like, like these ultra strong men guys. And they're like, I can put a nail in the wall with my bare hands. And I'm like, well, you have bare hands and I just have people hands. So <laughs> don't laugh at that. That was not a good joke. <laughs> Seriously, that was... That was subpar uh, at best. That one wasn't even in my notes. That's the, that was the anointing, so thank you, Jesus. Mm. Let's move on. No, but you don't try to build things without the right tools, right? And how many of you have ever seen somebody, or, or would think with me, what would it be like if you were to walk past somebody who was trying to build something, trying to make something happen, and you go, they don't have the right tools, they are never going to be able to put that screw in correctly with that hammer. Like this doesn't, they need to know. And you're thinking, I have the right tools. I have what they need. And, and you want to go to them in that moment and you'll be like, hey, if you give me just a moment, I actually have a drill. You can put that screw in a lot faster and it'll actually work the way it's intended to. 
And they go, oh, wow, thank you. Because you saw it, you recognize the fact that there was a need, and you go, you know what? I have a way to help you in this moment so that you can do it correctly, so that you can do it better. Because here's the reality. Uh, We are all on this journey together. We are all moving in this this great big thing called uh, Christianity, and along that comes this, this side of Christianity called sanctification, which is this ongoing, continual process, right? We are justified immediately. Justification happens in the moment, but sanctification is this continual washing and cleansing and making better and, and being right and trying to be more like Jesus along the way, right? That is this whole process that every one of us are walking through, and we're all at different points along the journey. We're all in different places in this. We need other people around us to say, hey, I recognize this problem that, you, that you're kind of dealing with and you keep slipping and stumbling over that. Let me help you. Let me come alongside you. And when you go, hey, I'm really being tempted with this, then, then you can come to me and say, hey, this, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling right now with this. This is a temptation that I'm facing and I don't want to fall into that. And we can go, hey, let's stop. Let's pray about it. Let's distract ourselves from it. Let's go another direction. Let's think, what are our options? James says this in chapter five. He says, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. There's power in that, that confession. There's power in that, that willingness and that openness to be, to be vulnerable with somebody else that says, I want to help you. I want to come alongside of you. We need each other in this. We're not capable on our own. We're not capable on our own. And the three of us together, you know, the two and then the Holy Spirit working. That's a strand that can't be easily broken. That's a bond that holds strong. That's, that's a, a rope that holds tight so that we don't have failures and, 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 and shifts and slip-ups because we have each other to lean into and to lean on. So what's our responsibility then? Our responsibility is twofold. One, it's, it's to be... Uh, connected with each other and it, it, it's in, and to be vulnerable with each other. But it's, it's more than that. It's, it's being willing to say, I will be your keeper. I'll be looking out for you. And in the turn, I need you to be looking out for me. So we have responsibility on both ends. We need to be willing to receive when somebody says, hey, man, I'm recognizing this in you. This is something that needs to be changed and corrected in you. This is something that needs to be fixed and altered. And then to be willing to receive that on the other side, you know, and to give that back. We have a responsibility to one another. It takes a village. If we're going to continue to grow, if we're going to continue to be like Christ, we need each other. Plain and simple, we need each other. God created us for for each other. In that lies the responsibility for each other. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you with our lives Lord, with our words, with, with, with our singing and all that, that is entailed in that. Lord, Lord, I praise you, God, that we serve a God who is living and who wants to connect with us. And God, I praise you that in your infinite wisdom, you gave us each other. You recognize that we needed one another to build each other up or to be strengthened together. God, I pray that today that we recognize the need to be willing to, to hold somebody accountable or not in the sense of, let me point out all of your faults. Let me point out everything that you've done wrong. Let me make you aware of how terrible you are. But in the sense of, I love you so much and I wanna see you grow. I wanna see you be more like Christ. So in love, I want, to, I want to reveal this to you. I want to help you to recognize this. I want you to see this. So in love, I want you to, 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 to know that God's got greater for you. 
So God, today I pray as, as we turn our hearts, God, towards you, as we recognize our need for each other, as we humble ourselves and say, God, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. Lord, I pray that you speak to my heart, speak to our hearts, and help us, help us to see our need for each other. Help us to see our need for each other. Something I want to do today that has nothing to do at all with my message, but it's just like a strong conviction that I have, and that is to give somebody an opportunity to ask Jesus into their life. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your, your, your walk with the Lord looks like. I don't know if this is a, a new concept to you at all, and it may be. This idea of there is this God who is out there, who is this creator, and, 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 and he's infinite in all that he is, and yet, in the midst of that, he loves you individually. That may be hard to grasp sometimes, and for me it is. It's like, man, that's, so, that's mind-blowing, the fact that this infinite God knows me intimately and loves me deeply. And he recognized that we were broken, that we were in need of a savior. And so because of that, he sent his son to be the ultimate sacrifice, to die for us. And he shed his blood for our sin, to wash us white as snow, to purify us, to cleanse us. And that all we have to do, this is the craziest part about the whole thing, is that all we have to do is confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, and we receive that salvation. It's remarkable. It almost seems too good to be true. It's the only thing in life that actually is true that seems too good to be true. It's incredible. And maybe this morning you're saying, Pastor Ryan, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. I need to ask Jesus into my heart. I need to give my life to him fully. And maybe you've said it before, but you go, you know what? I didn't really mean it. It was a moment of emotion. It was a moment of response. I was trying to impress somebody. Whatever it may be, I don't care. And maybe you're saying, I really need to surrender my life to Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, on the count of three, if that's you, if you say, I want to ask Jesus into my heart, if you would just lift your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Anybody at all. And there may be nobody, but if there's anybody, I want to give you the chance. If you need to ask Jesus into your heart this morning, just slip up your hand. Anybody at all? deal good deal you know what that tells me we have work to do right we have work to do i don't look at this as a oh man i said good then we're equipping the saints to reach the lost so god i pray this morning that you burn into our hearts the need for each other the need for accountability, the need for the people around us to lift us up, to support us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just just, just overwhelm us, Lord, with a sense of love and a compassion for all those, Lord, because even as we read in the Old Testament that, that a brother could be anybody who was a fellow citizen or somebody who moved from out of the country into the country, Lord, and, and we need to do our part to make sure that we are reaching our brothers. God, that we are with love doing what we can to share the love of Jesus, to share the love of Jesus. So God, today I pray that you seal in our hearts the need for one another, the need for accountability, Lord, the need for community, the need for fellowship. 
God, as you speak to us, Lord, as you challenge us in this, that we, we take on a deeper level and a heart for this and a longing for this. We praise you for it. We give you glory. We give you honor for it in the precious name of Jesus. In the precious name of Jesus, we say amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.